This episode of The Energy Pipeline is sponsored by Caterpillar Oil & Gas. Since the 1930s, Caterpillar has manufactured engines for drilling, production, well service, and gas compression. With more than 2,100 dealer locations worldwide, Caterpillar offers customers a dedicated support team to assist with their premier power solutions. The Energy Pipeline is your lifeline to all things oil and gas, to drill down deep into the issues impacting our industry. From the frack site to the future of sustainability, hear more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of oil and gas. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. It is me, your host, Jordan Yates. And today I'm here with Jamie Stewart, the president at Inquest Energy Solutions. Jamie, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Guys, we are recording live from PBIOS. I, for the longest time, kept calling it PIBO. So I'm glad I finally got it down before I got here. (laughs) I've heard it called many different things from... PBIOS to the Permian Basin Oil Show. It's it goes by many names, but PBIOS. That's where we is are. What we're supposed to be calling it. Yeah. All right. I'll try to stick with it. So you guys are a company that has recently been integrating this EFRAC technology. It's very hot in the market. It's hot in just you know uh, conversation. It's a cool thing to be doing. Can you tell us how long you guys have been doing like EFRAC technology? Yeah, so we started uh, with our electric frack uh, offering back in August of 2020 when there wasn't much going on at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the height of COVID and we needed something to do. And we had a client come to us and say, hey, we want to be ready for when this thing turns. And we think uh, now is a great time to invest in our next gen technologies. So um, they said, we would like to partner with you and have you guys do all the engineering um, and then do the manufacturing for us and take our feedback and build it in the in the vision that we would like you to build it for us. And that's how we wound up in the electric fracturing uh, business. Uh, it, it just so happened that uh, another bright, shiny new electric frack <laughs> offering came out in the middle of our uh, joint project with this client and they needed to get to the field faster. They were probably six months ahead of where we were. Mm -hmm. And so we amicably broke up and uh, we wound up with all the technology. And uh, today um, that client and and, uh, Inquest were were back together again. Wow, you guys must be very capable for someone to come up to me like, I need your engineering resources, your manufacturing and all of that. And here's my vision, make it happen. Um, What else do you guys do at Inquest? Like how are you involved in the oil and gas industry? So uh, electric frack is is a new and exciting area. Another new and exciting area for Enquest is power generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, package uh, two different uh, generator sets, and, and mobile is really our forte. Uh, we don't really compete in the stationary world, although mm-hmm. we can build a stationary unit. Uh, but we compete in the mobile power gen uh, space with the G3520, a CAT product, a gas engine. Uh, it's a two and a half megawatt mobile uh, generator set. And then we also have a 
uh, Veracore turbine. It's uh, about a four megawatt gas turbine driven generator set. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you've got electric frac, you've got our conventional fracturing products that are actually built around the tier four DGB. We were one of the early adopters wow. of uh, tier four DGB technology. And uh, we've made a living out of delivering uh, more tier four DGB engines than anybody else in the market. Wow. Uh, something I'm very, very proud of. So we have tier four DGB, we have power generation, we have electric, and uh, one that's uh, in its infancy, but something we're very, very proud of is battery energy storage. Yeah, that is definitely coming up. I can't wait to see a year from now what the conversation's gonna be around that and all of the innovation in that space. Um, it's, it's awesome you mentioned the CAT engine because you know this is a podcast sponsored by Caterpillar. If you guys are watching the video, you'll see we have a ginormous engine right behind us. It is so, so big. Um, what do you guys do with this engine? Like, what is your contribution to it? So we're the ones that uh, add value to the engine. Caterpillar does all the beautiful engineering and, <laughs> and manufacturing of the engine, uh, but the engine uh, alone doesn't do anything. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we uh, package the, we add the transmission, we uh, add the air cleaners, the exhaust, uh, the dual fuel system, the rest of the, um. the natural gas uh, fuel capability, uh, your diesel fuel capability, and then we add the pump, uh, which in, in many cases can be the SPM, Caterpillar oil and gas uh, pump as well. Wow, sounds like you guys are doing quite a bit with such a already intense product. So I, I imagine your engineers are very hard at work. <laughs> they are some of the best in the industry and we're proud to have them. I'm, I love that. So back to EFRAC and your Thor, the trademarked technology. I'm curious to see how this technology has been accepted by the oil and gas community and has it been hard to implement it? Are people excited about EFRAC? Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, um, that, that's actually a really good question. It, it has not been easy. Um, <laughs> you've, you've got a lot of skepticism, a lot of people not wanting to be the first. Uh, they want to see other people go and do it and either succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. um, and there have been uh, many successes, but there have also been some failures. So um, our rollout has been over a long period of time. There's also a huge capital uh, commitment that has to be made in order to uh, build out a fleet of electric equipment. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the era of capital discipline, there are very, very few companies that actually can afford to implement and, and go and apply a, an electric fracturing fleet. So it's taken more time than we would have liked, but Thor has been out in the wild now for uh, over a year. Mm -hmm. um, it's on a, a long-term lease, and uh, I believe the plan is for it to be purchased um, at the first of the year when the new capital becomes available for the 24 budget year. And then uh, we're in the process of uh, uh, getting all the uh, material together to build some more. That's exciting. So like you said, it is a little bit of hesitation to get people to adopt it. But once it's out in the field, like what's the reaction like? How long does it take people to get used to it? Do they like it once they are? Uh, it is... Uh, it's it's a beast of a pump. It really is. It's five thousand horsepower on a single single motor pump combination, mm -hmm. um, and it runs and runs and runs. Uh, so. Uh, the, the adoption has been great. It, just getting it into the field, getting into somebody's hands that could run it, run it hard, put it through its paces has been uh, what we really needed. And we've now got that yeah. uh, with our current client. 
have you guys gotten sort of like the case study of their telling you, hey, this is what's working, this is what could be improved, and are you taking that feedback and applying it, or are you still in the works of like discovery? Absolutely, uh, we are taking feedback. That's part of the the lease agreement that we have with our client is is hearing from them uh, what they like, what they don't like. So we know some things that when we do 2.0 here in 2024, uh, mm -hmm. there will be some differences, but uh, minimal differences. Uh, we really like the single motor pump combination uh, compared to some of these big, huge, heavy uh, two pump, two motor combinations. Uh, those units run 180,000 pounds down the road and our unit runs at about 130,000 pounds wow. down the road. So a huge savings in weight and a lot more steerable when you get to location. So um, we've taken their feedback and we intend to uh, make some changes, but minimal. The feedback has mostly been excellent. Wow. And one of the great things about this client is they have uh, two other solutions uh, mm -hmm. within their uh, electric uh, frack offering. Uh, so it's a really good test. We're right next to our competition and uh, by their accounts, we're outperforming the competition. So Ooh. happy about that. That is awesome to hear. Sorry for the competition's loss, but I'm very happy for you. Um, something that, of course, is always a very important topic is environmental impact. So the electric fracturing technology is known for the reduced emissions, as well as from what I've heard, major cost savings. We'll get to the cost part in a minute, but can you enlighten us on the uh, reduced emissions aspect? Yes, so uh, the oil and gas industry is uh, vilified, um, you know, the world around because of um, past uh, grievances with, with emissions mm -hmm. and with our footprint in the world. Um, you know, fossil fuels are the, the things people love to hate, um, but they're absolutely 100% necessary to life, to human flourishing. Um, and, and we recognize that we can do better uh, from an emission standpoint. And uh, we know that uh, natural gas is a cleaner burning fuel mm -hmm. uh, than diesel. And so any chance we can get to replace diesel with natural gas, Enquest uh, is going to design a solution to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I've done some research on your technology, but I get a little confused. There's a lot of, you know, big powerful things going on. Is the natural gas powering some of the EFRAC or is that more in the DGB engines or are they together? Can you differentiate those two for me? Yeah, so natural gas is uh, the by far the most uh, widely used fuel for EFRAC because mm -hmm. what you have to have is you have to have uh, a generator and uh, Diesel generators are less uh, efficient than natural gas generators in terms of um, you can you can make some really really big power uh, with a, a lot lower emissions if you go with natural gas as your fuel. Mm -hmm. You also and, and something that we'll probably get into here in just a second you'll you'll wind up with far lower fuel costs. Uh, the more gas you burn, uh, yeah. the less fuel costs you're going to have. That's pretty cool. I mean, we love environmental efficiency, but we also love saving money in this industry too. And I, I know it's it's more trendy to talk about the environmental impact, but I do want to focus in on the cost savings that this provides because, I mean, the bottom line is important. So can you kind of get into how this is saving customers money and maybe some of the um, examples of how that's happening? So. We're in the era of capital discipline. Uh, all these public companies uh, spout it. They live it every day. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and to be capitally disciplined, you have to be capital efficient. A way to be capital efficient is not spend your money as fast as you possibly can. Um, That's and new. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, fuel cost savings is one of the big drivers of efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, one of the last probably big drivers of efficiency is, is uh, converting uh, the massive amounts of diesel that were burned to drill and complete wells and, and turn that over into clean, burning, cheap natural gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's such a big deal. Um, I, I heard a figure, I think, that it's, it's like 25 million per frack station. I, I don't know the exact digits, but is there any like numbers that you've like put on, like if you do an e-frack versus like a regular one, or is that still sort of ambiguous? So if you can burn 100% natural gas, uh -huh. um, and, and actually if you can get to field gas versus uh, trucked in uh, CNG, mm -hmm. uh, that is the holy grail in terms of cost savings. Um, so there have been some uh, cost studies uh, by several of the industry uh, folks out there. And we do believe that there's 20 to $25 million a frack fleet per year yeah. in fuel savings if you convert to 100% natural gas as a fuel. Is it possible to convert to 100% natural gas? Like, is that seem like a reality these days? Electric frack makes that a reality because there are these natural gas generators like we were talking about before, yeah. whether they're gas turbines or they're gas resip engines, uh, that they only burn uh, gas. In the, in the case of the DGB, uh, you might be able to get to 75 or 80% uh, mm -hmm. natural gas versus 20% uh, diesel. Uh, but you will never get to 100% in a in a dual fuel engine. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool though. I mean, the fact that you're displacing diesel at all and being able to see these cost savings, I think that's amazing and exciting that Caterpillar is you know in there and a part of it. Love to give them a shout out. Not that they need it because everybody already knows who they are. But <laughs> it's a cat world. We're just living in it. Amen. Um, all right, then let's move on to operational efficiency. So. How does the FRAC technology, or sorry, EFRAC technology, enhance the operational efficiency of the fracking operations? So it, en it enhances it probably two ways. Uh, one way is uh, controllability. Mm -hmm. You have uh, far more uh, fine control over your frack pump with an electric motor than you do with a diesel engine and a transmission. Mm -hmm. So uh, from an operational standpoint, um, you, you have that just fine motor control uh, where you can uh, pump you know, very specific rates uh, to the extent that you need to do that. Uh, the second uh, uh, way that you get uh, efficient uh, in, in terms of your operations is that the motor um, is far more reliable than a diesel engine and transmission. Mm -hmm. A motor may last 40,000 hours before overhaul, where a transmission and an engine, you, you might be looking at 15,000 hours uh, before wow. overhaul, uh, 20,000 if you've really taken good care of your stuff. That's that's an insane difference. Uh, another thing I heard you talk about on a separate podcast you were on about a year or two ago was how these are a lot quieter than the typical diesel engine. So you guys are able to use them closer to cities without being um, very noisy and loud. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I imagine that's extremely helpful. Sure. Drive around uh, Midland, Odessa, and you can see these walls 
up along the highways and byways, and those walls are there to protect communities from the sound of drilling and completion uh, equipment running 24-7. It's a 24-7 world out there, so while everybody's trying to sleep and rest uh, <laughs> for the next day or... Um, You'll, you'll have uh, drilling and, and fracturing operations going on around the clock. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do have to be mindful of our impact on communities. And one of the ways that we can limit the noise uh, is to get rid of uh, conventional engines um, and radiators, which are the two biggest contributors to noise there are on a frack pump. Mm -hmm. And uh, you do that with an electric motor, which has a, a little whine to it. It doesn't have a, that rumble that you yeah. hear with a diesel engine. Uh, and you, you don't hear the, the loud sounds of the cooling fans turning like you do with the big radiators that we need on the front of a Tier 4 DB, DGB engine. Yeah. Has that opened up opportunities for you guys to get closer within city limits of having these operations that you know of or is it just we're improving our current situations i think we're improving the current situation uh there are just naturally some fields that are um just right within communities very very near communities and it's very disruptive to their mm -hmm. daily life um and we've tried to go to some extreme measures in order to make it comfortable on the people because it's it's really you know, it's a very temporary thing, yeah. uh, but it's very disruptive, even temporary. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a lot of these folks are trying to, to figure out how we can get a little further away and, and drill farther with longer laterals. Absolutely. Uh, but we can also impact it by building quieter equipment like electric. Yeah, and it must be nice for the people actually working out there because, I mean, it, it hurts your ears after a while. I mean, sure, there's ear protection, but it only does so much when it's like the ground is basically shaking. It is so loud. So that's that's exciting for the people working out there. I'm sure they can hopefully see that as a benefit as it becomes more normalized. Um, I want to ask, and I know you guys are a private company, so you may not want to share, but is there some real world examples of like you've implemented Thor, it's done a great job, and you can kind of walk us through um, the implementation process and the case study with it? Um, so yeah, Thor would be a, a nice one uh, to talk about, but the implementation, uh, it, it didn't go to work uh, right away. Mm -hmm. People want to try it before they buy it. Um, you know, it, people are skeptical. They don't have, uh, it, it doesn't take a bunch of uh, mechanics and, and uh, hy hydraulics techs. It takes uh, mm -hmm. medium voltage electrical techs, uh, a different skill set than, than what you would normally find in the oil field. Yeah. Um, so the uh, adoption just came very slow. Um, but once we were able to go up against conventional uh, pumping equipment, uh, the benefits of electric fracturing became more and more obvious uh, to where uh, people you know, that can afford it are transitioning um, as fast as they can. Uh, companies like Halliburton have said, mm -hmm. we will never build another diesel fleet again, that wow. we're going to, uh, you know, from this point forward, we're going to build electric. Um, and we support that. It, it's, it's a good thing for manufacturing as well. Yeah, so how does one try it before they buy it with such a robust piece of equipment? Like, what does that actually look like? Do you just drop it off or do they come to like a site and it's like a, a demo? Like, how does that even work? How do you try that out? Think of like a rental car. Um, <laughs> you know, it, we, we were doing whatever we could do to get get our technology out there, get mm -hmm. people to try it so they would buy it. Yeah. Um, and so we had to get creative. We had to structure uh, a, a longer term lease, um, which is essentially a rental. Um, and that uh, 
at the end of the lease term, they would have the option to buy it. And, and so wow. uh, that's what we structured. It, it, it's, it's not the ideal situation for a manufacturer. You yeah. want to build and sell, um, but it, it's worked. Absolutely. So are you guys going out there and helping to service as well? Or do you do the service side or is it more that you pass the equipment on and then they take it and their team deals with it? Yeah. Again, think of the rental car model. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, you, you go and get your rental car and you're responsible for it until you return it. It's the same with uh, Thor. Thor is uh, a rental unit. It's wow. it's ours until they they buy it. And so they have to take care of it like it was their own goodness. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. I get nervous with a rental yeah. car. I couldn't imagine one of those. But I, I assume the people that you are lending it to have the expertise and ability to to handle it. They're, they're not like me renting a car where I hit a lot of curbs and struggle to get it back in one piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no curbs in, in the frack industry. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> so I want to move on to challenges. With any new technology, Obviously, there's going to be challenges in the adoption. And like you said, one big one has been people kind of accepting it. But on the technology side more so, what challenges have you guys had to overcome? Uh, the biggest one is, is, is making sure that you have a, a reliable system that can run 24-7. We know that diesel units, dual fuel units, are ultra reliable. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you maintain it properly, those things are going to run all day and all night. Yeah. Um, well, we had to prove the same thing with electric, that we could do uh, the same kind of reliability, the same number of hours a day yeah. that our, our diesel products can do. And, and that was probably the hardest thing. Is, is, and I think that's probably everybody's uh, concern is, is I've got to be able to uh, pump the same number of hours, mm -hmm. even though I'm converting over to electric as I do with my diesel fleets. Yeah, that's that's intense. I mean, I work in the electronics components industry and I see that as a big thing. You know, there's overheating, there's a lot more components you have to deal with. And I imagine that like getting your ratings to where they need to be, that's kind of a different type of standard that you're meeting for electronic components rather than a typical diesel engine. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and remember, we're putting these uh, electric components uh, that are heat sensitive, they're dust sensitive, uh, they're humidity sensitive, and we're putting them out in the oil field out in the uh, wet, West Texas. It's, yeah. If you've, you know, we're all here right now. It's it's dusty. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be really hot in the summers. It can be cold in the winters, and uh, occasionally it rains. Um, and so we've got to make sure that it lasts, uh, no matter how hot, how cold, or. If it's raining or not, it's got to it's got to live and it's got to keep pumping. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now that you guys are kind of you know industry leaders with this EFRAC technology, where else do you see it going in the future, and how do you see the industry adapting with it and evolving? I I, I do think that uh, electric is going to be a huge component of of the future mm -hmm. of oil and gas, primarily for those uh, cost savings that you can get that you just won't be able to ignore at some point. Um, and, and that all gets passed through all the way to the consumer. So yeah. as we can keep energy costs as low as possible, uh, that'll be because of electric frack, not in spite of electric frack. Um, so I, I see a, a, a larger world where there are a lot more electric fleets out there than there are today. Uh, will it be a third of the active fleets? Uh, I think it'll be more. Mm -hmm. I'll take the over on a third and, and probably right. go with uh, a half or more uh, will be electric, um, say, five, ten years from now. 
And if, you know, they want to convert, they should come over to you guys and you can help them out, right? Come see us at Enquest. <laughs> we'll, we'll outfit you with uh, electric frack uh, as quickly as possible. That's awesome. So is this technology most applicable in specific regions or is this something you see going kind of worldwide? Like, where do you see it fitting best? The technology makes most sense right now because of the uh, abundance of natural gas as a fuel mm -hmm. in the United States. Okay. Canada will follow uh, soon. Uh, Canada has has kind of watched the U.S. Uh, there are some nuances to Canada and their road laws that make it a little more challenging to operate yeah. and move around up there because these are heavy, heavy pieces of equipment. They are. Um, and eventually the world will uh, see the electrification, but uh, they're so far uh, away from even tier four uh, as a fuel, mm -hmm. uh, tier four diesel fuel as a fuel, they're, they're not even uh, set up for that yet. Wow. So to think that we're gonna convert from uh, a tier two uh, engine straight to electric, they still need to make the step to dual fuel. Yeah. And then after they make the step to dual fuel, then they can take the step to electric. It's always the fun thing to me is letting the infrastructure catch up to where these new technologies are because we get so excited and we're like, let's replace everything. But it's like, hold on, you That's know, right. we need to we need to get there one step at a time. But it's very cool that you are actually getting to be a part of that and that you guys are, like I said, industry pioneers with this. And so I'm excited that you came on the energy pipeline. One more slight tangent I want to go on is that for a president of a company, you seem to be very knowledgeable and in the mix with the actual operations going on. That's pretty cool because sometimes, you know, you get to such upper level management that you guys are a bit more detached. But how do you stay so involved in the operations and like what's going on so uh, you know there, there are public companies and large private entities that uh, you can go become a hired gun mm -hmm. and you can work there and you have uh, staff and infrastructure uh, that's not how Enquest started. Enquest yeah. is an entrepreneurial uh, company. Mm -hmm. uh, we started from the ground up. There was no, like I was actually employee number two in the US. Wow. Uh, I was not employee number one, uh, but I was number two in the US. And uh, we built a team uh, from the ground up mm -hmm. um, with my knowledge of, of the industry, of the, the players, of the manufacturing process, yeah. of the engineering talent, of the Houston market, of the Texas market, and the US market. Um, we already had a small footprint in Canada, um, but it was in its infancy too. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, being an entrepreneurial company you, and an entrepreneurial leader, I, I just have to stay involved uh, in every aspect. We don't have the luxury of uh, <laughs> overhead and staff and yeah. SG&A. Uh, we have to stay very uh, tight and very focused, um, and hopefully we'll grow to be one of those big companies one day. I was going to say, you still strike me as somebody that even if you had the staff, you would still be in the mix, in the operations, and getting your hands dirty. You seem to like this industry a lot. I do. It's what I love. I do think it resonates very well with our customers mm -hmm. because our customers know that uh, they can call me and I will understand what the problem is yeah. and I can fix it. That's very comforting. Yeah. If you know, if I were a customer and I had all of this, I would definitely call you. Unfortunately, just a girl on a podcast. <laughs> it won't won't be a customer anytime soon. But um, well, if I, you do, <laughs> we'd be happy to have you as a customer. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. guys. You hear that? They they would be happy to have me as a customer. Um, sometimes the listeners they're like, Jordan, what are these yeah. tangents you go on? But as we're getting towards the end, I'm curious: is there any bits of advice, last thoughts, or anything that we haven't talked about? that you just want the listeners of the energy pipeline to hear? 
Um, you know, I, I really am a big proponent of uh, being a voice for good of, of fossil fuels mm-hmm. um, and how fossil fuels uh, leads to human flourishing and how we enjoy uh, abundant uh, energy. And it's because of fossil fuels that we enjoy such an abundance of energy in, in the U.S. and, and Europe and Canada. Uh, but there's the, these six billion other people around the world that don't have abundant energy. They may have intermittent energy or no energy at all and have to burn wood and dung and things like that in order to heat their homes or cook their food. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got to remember that uh, fossil fuels are are the ticket to their freedom and their energy abundance like we enjoy over here. Let's not forget all the good that fossil fuels do uh, and, and focus only on the negatives uh, because fossil fuels um, they are necessary for the world yeah I, I love that I'm that's why I love this podcast it gives us a chance to educate people like how these processes are really happening like what the the leaders in this industry are actually thinking when they're implementing new technologies and I think it is such such so much more of a positive industry than people think by you know first look but i i love that that you said that because i i agree very strongly with you but of course well that is that is all we have for today guys um jamie thank you for coming on everybody thank you so much for listening to another episode of the energy pipeline as always i'm your host jordan yates and i'll see you next time come back next week for another episode of the energy pipeline a production of the oil and gas global network To learn more, go to OGGN.com.